0: guys are the few, the proud, the ones that resisted the temptation to watch the Super Bowl. I pray God just messes your life up in a great way right now. Tons of money, tons of encounters, tons of confirmation. Wouldn't that be good for you? How cool would that be? You get all sorts of money, so you can do a nine day prayer, and God makes it real clear in your heart, and then you, you get like a grace to pray. How sweet would that be? Like even more than you have. So that's what we're praying for you for. You guys want to agree with this? All right, I'm a little, I'm a little bit outside of myself tonight. Okay, I don't mean to scare you, but let it be for you tonight. Look at you standing up in the night of the Super Bowl in a little place going, I want to do night and day prayer. I mean, how cool is that? That's so cool. Gosh, that's cool. All right, good. We want to pray for you. Oh, Lord, I'm asking. For these that are standing, Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you release confirmation by your Spirit, the calling, the destiny, the decree of God, and the mandate over their lives? Would you release revelation of the holiness of your heart in this matter? That you have set watchmen on the wall. Lord, as you're luring these into this reality, I'm asking, would you release a grace like you did for Anna? That they would be able to fast and pray night and day, God. Never ceasing, ever praying, God. I ask, would you release finances and economic provision upon them, God? Let monies come into their bosom from places they'd know not of, God. Release it for them, God, that they'd find themselves in the house of prayer, serving the Lord joyful in his house of prayer. Release an anointing an a grace upon them, God. Mark them even in this moment. Mark them even now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good, amen. Everybody that agreed, said amen. All right, you may be seated. We're going to have a little information meeting immediately following. Uh, the altar ministry time. I want to invite you guys that stood to that information to be here in the room with the double doors. Anybody can come to that. If you have any questions about IHOP, about joining staff, about our internships, anything like that, you're welcome to come to that meeting. Just way prefer to preach from the floor. I uh, was part of a, a fun conference this weekend, a kingdom expansion conference, Riverstone Church in Marietta. And uh, it's crazy. They wanted me to come speak on prayer. Instead, I speak on the millennial kingdom and God's desire to take over the nations. Like all weekend, that's all I could preach on. It was so bizarre. They were all looking at me like, what kind of planet did you freak come from? I wanted to preach a little enjoyable prayer kind of thing. God loves you. It'll help you pray. Just know he loves you. I wanted to do that. I'm over there. Jesus is coming with zeal. He's taking the nations. He's gonna overthrow the thrones of all the governments of the nations. They're looking at me like, oh my goodness, where did you get that guy? You know? I had a revelation though. I went out to lunch with the youth pastor of the church. He's a good friend, loves IHOP, takes, you know, takes all his youth to our conferences to Kansas City, all this. <laughs> At the end of our lunch, he looks at me. and He just starts shaking his head. He goes, you're messed up. <laughs> and, 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 like he said it like five times. He goes, you're really messed up. God messed you up. You were messed up. Messed up are you. You are messed up. And I, it just dawned on me in that moment. I'm really not cool anymore. <laughs> I'm just not cool anymore. Oh. I'm trying to be okay with this, but... I preach this message. We'll just chat for a moment before I minister to you. I preached this message this morning. I give an altar call, and like eight people go like down to the altar like this, you know? The rest of the crowd's kind of looking at me, you know, like that. And as I'm praying at the end, I start... I mean, I, it was just weird. Instinctively, I start quoting Jeremiah. The word of the Lord is in my bones like a fire. Shut up. I cannot hold it. I'm going like, what am I saying? Stop talking. And he, Who has an ear to hear the word of the Lord? I'm saying these things out of my mouth while people are, are not coming to the altar. It was bizarre. I think it's weird, and I'm the guy that was preaching. Ah. Oh. Melissa, are you th- where she's over there hiding? Was it a little weird? It was a little strange. Would you agree or Yeah, it's a little strange. <laughs> she thank you. She goes, all the intercessors around were going, yes. Everybody else was going, huh? What's that? What did you say? What's that guy talking about? Anyway, okay. A little fun. This is therapy for me. I just share it with you guys. and me just chat for a moment <clears throat> alright let's pray we're going to find Song of Solomon 2 Lord we love you we thank you God thank you for the little community you're building here you're calling a house of prayer we're in awe we're in awe of your doings God in the earth And it's okay with me Lord It's okay with me. Do all you wish in us and through us. Make a spectacle of us if you like. Let us just know your Son. And I'm praying for revelation, the knowledge of your Son to come and thunder forth upon us, resonate within us, enlighten the eyes of our understanding once again that we know Jesus. Oh, that we would know Jesus, Abba. Lord, we do say it with Rebecca. You have ruined us with love, you have smitten us with love. Your great yearning, zeal, and desire for us, God, it's touched us. Where can we go? But in your presence, and who can we go to that is the words of life, but you, Jesus? Now, Lord, would you just come and speak to our hearts tonight? Do you again strengthen us in this house, strengthen us and call us away with you, that we can run with you, partnering with your heart in prayer, placing a word in us, God, that we can proclaim with fire and authority, the word of the Lord. To a world that so desperately needs it, God, I'm asking, release it in our midst. In the name of Jesus, good, and everybody said amen. I'm a little tender tonight, just bear with me. I really might just lapse into uncontrollable weeping, and that's okay, good. Song of Solomon 2. I got, uh, if, if you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to get Dave Slyker's message, God's zeal for Zion, I really got, I'm trying to think the right word, hammered by that, that word last week, it just, it just was, there was a powerful sense of God's zeal released in the house last week, and I know Dave, and I know how he speaks, and I know what he does, and what he did last week, I mean it was him, but it wasn't him, it was really the Lord breathing with life on, on so many of the things that he was <clears throat> mentioning. And then, in, especially even in the altar at the end, there was just a, a jealous fire of God on that altar ministry time. And it's intense, and it's an intense thing. And so that, that really gripped my heart this week. And I felt like the Lord was just continuing to speak some things to, me, to my heart along those same lines. And so I want to stay on that same track, and, uh, and deal with some of these thoughts is awesome. Rebecca tonight, she sang the message. I didn't think I was isolating the phrases that were taking her there, but she was, <laughs> I was singing a certain thing, and she was singing my message now. And so you don't know it, but I do. And she was actually singing the verses that I'm going to share with you here in a moment. I love when that happens. That is such a cool little feature of the house of prayer and mixing prayer and worship. It's just such a cool thing. Happens a lot. So Song of Solomon 2, I'm going to pick up here and just look at some thoughts. Song of Solomon 2, verse 8 and 9. This is the maiden speaking, the Shulamite. She says, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes. I love the beholds in scripture. Behold, he comes. Leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. Verse 10. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Song of Solomon is an allegory. It's a picture. It's a symbolic picture, the relationship that we have with Jesus. Jesus is the beloved. He's the bridegroom. And we, as the bride of Christ, we are the maiden, the Shulamite. In chapter 1... What we're introduced to is the Shulamite having a revelation of her brokenness and her her weakness and her darkness, yet that God is interested in her, that, that the beloved is interested in her. And that is, beloved, that is the beginning point one of love. That you have to come to, if you're going to get any kind of a revelation on how God feels about you, you've got to come to to the beginning point, which is where she starts. She says, I am dark, but I am lovely to you. I have darkness in me. I have weakness in me. I am broken. There are a, a thousand things, is what she's saying, that I am well acquainted with that make me unworthy. Yet, I realize you love me. And That's the beginning place. And she's, she goes and gives this explanation how she's burned out and she's worked hard in the field of ministry and she's given herself to, to working for others good but she hasn't tended her own spiritual garden. And the sun, the, the heat of the day and the temptation of the world has burned her and she's, she's been tanned by the sun and she's darkened by the, the challenges of, the, of, of this life. And yet he says, You are the fairest among women. You are lovely. And he begins to lavish her with praise. He begins to speak over her the reality of his desire for her and her beauty to him, even in the place of her weakness. And that is the point one of the understanding of God's love. That God looks into our weakness. He's not scandalized with the the darkness of our life. But if there's a sincere yes in our heart, if there's a sincerity inside that says, God, I want you, I bring to you all my weakness, all my junk, I want you. In that place, God says, I see you as beautiful. I see you as lovely. And he is, he is beginning to, to wash her with the revelation of his great desire for her and, and her beauty to him, even in the place of weakness. That's love. That's the way God feels about us. If you can get just that, I am dark but lovely, then when you sin, you will not put yourself in purgatory for a season, you will not make yourself serve, make yourself serve a jail sentence before you can come back to the Lord. See, when we have a shame mentality, when, we're, when we are bound under a yoke of shame, when we sin, and shame is the prevailing way that we relate to God, we think we've got to do a season in jail before God will take us back. But the entire time, he's looking at us, and he says, if you will stand and you will come back, I will embrace you. Though I know you're weak, I love you, and I see a destiny for you. I see something in you. I see the yes in your heart. I see something in you greater than what you see. Come and experience my love, even in that place of your weakness. He's always drawing us back, right in the face of our our darkest moments. It's a great kindness of God. Oh, I love God. What if he made us work for love? (laughs) Yet we try to work to attain his approval and his love all the time. Yet it's not his economy at all. If you could understand the burning that's in God's heart for you, the heart of longing and desire that's in his heart for you, you would easily see that there's a wide open way for you to come back when you have fallen in weakness and fallen in sin. Because he is looking at you with eyes of desire and longing. God is looking at you with eyes of desire and longing. We talked tonight, we sang tonight, there's an ache my soul thirsts for God and God alone. I tell you, beloved, times a thousand, God's soul, God's God's heart thirsts and aches for you. It's really the truth. The great zeal and, and yearnings of God's heart and desire for us is absolutely, it, it, it's, it's, uh, Incomprehensible. There's no explanation for it that deity would love this frailty in this way, that the divine perfection of God, that he would love this weakness the way he does. But he loves us on, I mean, off the scale. And he wants us. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you in relationship. He wants intimacy with you. And so when you're when you're coming in face to face with your frailty and your darkness, I tell you. For him, the darkness isn't the problem. It's not the issue. It's not the point. For him, you're the point. He wants you. The darkness will go. He'll move in zeal and fire against the darkness. But he wants your heart. He wants to draw you back even in that place of weakness. And that's where she comes to. She realizes that this little this little maiden, she realizes I am weak, I've got issues, I'm burnt out, I'm broken, I've been tanned by the sun. I've burned myself out in ministry and I've burned myself out in the world. I've I've I'm I'm scandalized by my own sin and he goes, "You're lovely to me." He goes, "You're beautiful." And he makes some some amazing little statements over her and he, he says, "I see you like a a beautiful filly. Your cheeks and your emotions of your heart is what he's talking about. The yes inside of you. He oh, it's beautiful to me. And then he romances her and he draws her into his chambers. And he allures her with love. He satisfies her heart in a way and she's never had this satisfaction. She's experiencing the embrace of the king at his table and she is Alive in love. She is, I mean, exploding. And she's coming out of her shell. She's beginning to realize, God really does love me. Maybe it was a theory before, but he really does. And I'm experiencing it. It's doing a whole other thing to her life. It is shocking her. It is sending a a tremor through her entire, her whole makeup. And then she's able to say in verse 1 of chapter 2, she goes, I. She goes, I am the rose of Sharon. I am a lily oh, in the valley. In The valley of humanity. I'm a beautiful flower to you, Lord. That's what she said. She goes, I am a rose. I'm a beautiful rose to you. Yes, I see it. I am beautiful to you. And you do think I'm beautiful. You do think I'm lovely. You do desire me. You do want me. She's proclaiming it now in verse 1 of chapter 2. He goes, I say even more than a lily in the valley. He goes, you're a lily among thorns. He goes as much, as beautiful as a lily in the valley. As he goes, oh, the comparison's even greater. You're so beautiful. You're a lily among thorn beds. It's striking her heart, and she's coming alive, and she she has this experience with him, and she's receiving of of his love, and they're experiencing delight under the shade tree, and they're they're. They're moving back and forth in love. And I tell you, your heart is the greatest, uh, the most highest level of of being alive when your heart is moving back and forth with love with God. That's what you were created for. You were created to be loved and to love God. And when your heart is moving back and forth and experiencing the love of God, it absolutely shocks your frame and you are experiencing the greatest level of life. And that's where she's at. She is alive in love. And it's, it's moving back and forth between her and the beloved. And it, I mean, she's like, sustain me, fill me, refresh me, renew me. This is great. I love this. I'm love sick for you. Yeah. I mean, she is excited. She doesn't quite get it yet. But she's getting it. She goes, Oh, I'm so glad. You love me. And I'm in this, oh, to be loved. And oh, I love experiencing your love. And I love being loved by you. This is what, this is what I'm made for. I love this. <sighs> verse 8. There's, there's a little break there between verse 7 and verse 8. In verse 8, he's sort of gone away and he's come back. hasn't been a, a long, you know, separation. It's just... Just a moment, a day or two. And all of a sudden, she hears him. She's inside. She's inside the house. It's a walled, walled house. And he comes up, and he's calling her name. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes heart is alive in love it's leaping at his voice her heart is jumping it's moving the bridegroom is coming again oh she can't wait to see him oh she's gonna get to flow back and forth in love with him oh she's gonna experiencing the refreshing renewing delight of the love of God oh she loves it she hears his voice she goes to look to see him and he appears in a completely different form She thought he was simply a romantic. Instead, this time he comes leaping on mountains, skipping on hills like a gazelle. Those figurative words, the the allegory to that means this. He is coming with authority over the nations. He's leaping on mountains effortlessly with authority over the hills and and the the mountains all over the planet. He's got authority over, over the globe. This is the king of kings that's coming. One minute he was this romantic, wooing her heart and alluring her. Now he's coming as this warrior king. And she is stunned. I have a friend, and she tells the story like this. She goes, "I imagine." She goes, "I imagine that I'm I'm the the the, the Shulamite, and that I'm away, and I'm on a summer vacation at a at an exotic island. And as I'm there, I meet a, a young man who who allures me and woos me, and we have a romantic summer, and we fall in love." She goes, and I, and I imagine that I've got two weeks left and I'm going to have to go back home. And all of a sudden, I hear him calling my name, and I come to the door and I look. Yet, when I come to the door and look, he has got a full uh, coat of armor on. He's got a face mask on, he's got robes over royal robes over this full plate of mail with swords she said, and, I, and I, I imagine looking at him and my heart begins to flutter going, what is this? What, is this? Why are you, what are you dressed as? And she says, and I imagine him saying to me, this is who I am. I am a romantic and I am in love with you. But my father is the king of the nation. And I am his son. And he has given me a mandate to subdue some nations that have come against our nation, and I am coming because I want you to come with me in conquest to the nations. And the shock of what that might be like. One moment we were having fun in the sun, you know, A little romantic, you know summer kind of thing. next thing, you know, he's the, he is the prince. He has legions of armed warriors at his command. And he's inviting her to the battlefield to subdue nations. What a shocking thing it is to her heart in that moment. And that's what God says to us. He goes, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Oh, you're beautiful, I love you. We go, yes. And he goes, my beloved. And we go, oh, your voice. He goes, I'm coming. And we go, yes. And we look. And he is leaping on mountains, moving in authority with power and aggression. We go, um, wow, you're way stronger than I thought you were. He goes, I want you with me. Come, rise up. Rise up and come away, my beloved. Come with me. Subdue mountains. Subdue kingdoms with me. Step with me into the place of warfare and authority. Step with me into the place of the zeal that's moving in my heart. We will subdue the enemy together. Chapter two is such a powerful chapter because she is so shocked she does not w- know what to do with this manifestation of who God is. And at the end, she says, turn my beloved upon the mountains of Bethar. Separation, that's what Bether means. Mountains of Bether, separation. She goes, turn and be, be like a gazelle. Go, I can't go with you. I'm not up to it. I'm freaky, it's freaking me out. I'm weak and I can't go with you. Well, verse 8, when she hears his voice and he comes with power, leaping on mountains, this is our God, this is Jesus, this is our beloved, the one with authority over the nations, calling us to partner partner with him. But I want to draw your attention to this verse 9. He's like a powerful stag, he's like a gazelle effortlessly leaping. But then it says, behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. Gazing through the lattice, peering through the window. It's before they have a full interaction. Can you imagine? This is the way I picture it. God, Jesus with eyes of desire and delight he's wooed your heart yet he's come and now he's standing before you peering through the lattice of your life gazing through the the window of time and into your heart with zeal and desire for you calling you to partner with him and I I sort of picture it like this you're sitting in the house you're looking out the window you see somebody walk across the yard did I see somebody? you go look Huh? sit back down I know I heard him you turn and look in the other window and there he is staring in on you he's considering you You, and you go and he kind of turns and you go out and look at them. And, what is he doing? And you turn back around, and there he is, peering in the other window. And like is he? You know, you kind of get the little feeling like he's a little bit of a stalker. <laughs> I tell you, he's far more aggressive than any stalker. far more aggressive than any stalker. And I tell you, God's eye is on you. The eye of the sun is on you. He's gazing upon you. He's looking through the windows of your life. He's looking into your heart. He's gazing gazing through the lattice. He's considering you. And I sense that over us. I sense it over I. Hop Atlanta. I sense Jesus, the Bridegroom, sort of pacing before the window of our life, looking into our heart, not with a, not with a, a, a stern uh, measure up kind of a thing, but with a yearning desire. A <laughs> fiery. Burning and yearning, zeal, and a heart of longing. And I, I sense it over us, beloved. I sense God's fiery zeal and passion over us. He's gazing through the window upon us. We stand on the brink, on the brink of something so unusual. We're on the brink of a night and day reality of worship to his name. And here's what I feel like I hear him saying. I'm not saying this, saith; I'm just saying this is my impression of the moment. My impression of the moment is, he says, it's been wonderful. The summer vacation, the alluring under the shade tree has been wonderful. And you've come this far, and I've so enjoyed it. But will you come with me on mountains? Will you leap with me and subdue principalities? You've come this far and it's been wonderful up to now, but will you for real let me have my way with you? And I feel the zeal of God boiling over this issue. There's a zealous gaze of investigation upon our lives right now and there's a calling away there's a calling away of the Lord being released to us I believe he's gazing through the lattice upon our heart it's the eye of Jesus it's fixed upon us with jealous desire do you understand do you think, think about it do you get it He is a bridegroom in love with you. Everything that is in the way is an enemy. He has the power to subdue nations, but the principal issue on his mind right now is your heart. He is really heavily, heavily passionate about you. He's gazing through the lattice of your life, and he's considering the other lovers. And I tell you, with the rage, fury, and wrath of a defrauded husband, he is a zealous, jealous bridegroom ready to bring warfare against all that's hindered love. There's real desire in the heart of God for you right now and intense tenderness. I mean, it is come away, my beloved, come with me and the gaze of fiery eyes is upon your heart. I just, I feel the heat lamp of God on my shoulders. You know what I'm saying? I feel it on me. I'm like, oh but i feel like he goes you've you've done well you 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 know you're playing this game you're doing the prayer thing doing lots and lots of prayer crying come saying you want me oh i love that he goes now game is about to start for real are you in i mean that's, i feel like he said it's really about to start are you in and I sense the, I sense a personal responsibility, but I sense a corporate responsibility on us. This little baby, I hop, this little sanctuary he's given us charge over. I flipped my Bible open. This, right when I got up there, I just flipped it open to nowhere. Bam, Nehemiah 12 and 13. God's given the gatekeepers charge of the sanctuary. I was like, oh. And there's a sanctuary in Atlanta that God's dreamed of from eternity past. And you little person found yourself up in here. Like, how did that work? I don't know, but you're here. And you little person are here, and you're just in weakness going like, okay, take my weakness and use it. He goes, I love your weakness. And he just kind of goes, now, is this for real? Because I'm not playing around. He goes, it's for real to me. And I feel a zeal over us, beloved. I, I picture him pacing back and forth. It's funny because I was having this image of Jesus pacing back and forth, looking through the window, looking in upon us. And I immediately thought about the verse, your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking whom he may devour. I thought, Jesus isn't the devil. You know, that's weird. Why would I see Jesus pacing like that? That's, ugh. And then I thought about it. Well, the devil... He's like a roaring lion, but who is the lion? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil is a counterfeiter. The idea that the devil would be pacing like a lion is a sure, and besides the other 20 verses that call Jesus a lion, but it's a sure, uh, for sure thing that Jesus is a lion and the devil is simply trying to mock and counterfeit that reality. I thought, huh, that's so interesting. But I want to propose something even further. Beside the fact that the devil is full of hatred, that he's a murderer and all that, but the activity that he is trying to reproduce, seeking something to devour, I want to propose that as well as a counterfeit activity that he's gotten the idea from God. Jesus Christ the lion of the tribe of Judah is peering through the lattice of your life, seeking that which hinders love that he might devour it from you. I feel his fire over us. I feel his zeal over us. He's serious about the house of prayer. Like, real serious. i 't put something weird, like a false burden. I mean, like, God's not playing around. Like, for real. And, uh, I started sensing that reality of his, his jealous zeal for his bride. His zeal for his people. And it takes courage of heart. There comes a place where we have to agree with God. We have to have courage of heart to be able to ask him as our beloved bridegroom yet as the fiery Zealous judge to come and slay everything that would hinder love between us and him. We've got to ask him to come and burn up all that hinders love. For real. I mean, really come and, and send a, a fire of incineration upon my heart. See, I, I sense this stirring of the Lord to zeal over us, I sense his jealousy over you, little intercessor. You know, you jump in the game, you go, I'm going to try, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go 40 hours a week. And I, and I see the fire, and it's in my mind's eye. I'm not saying I've got visions. I'm just saying, I'm using words to describe the sensation I have over this. But I sense the, 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 the ferocity of God over you for that. I sense him going, good choice. I will bring it to pass. The zeal of the Lord will bring it to pass. I will provide for you. I will love you. I will move in your heart. I will uh, uh, get rid of everything that hinders love. Remove everything that hinders love. I will protect you. I will vindicate you. And I know we, we struggle a bit with the voices imagined and real that mock this charge that we have it's a little challenge sometimes i mean night and day fasting and prayer i mean come on that's not like the fun thing you know you don't go fasting and prayer conference everybody goes that's gonna be sweet fasting and prayer conference is like let's let's get real Thank God there's a stirring going right now. Though. There's so many being drawn to this reality. It's amazing to me. It's shocking. No bells, no whistles, nothing cool. It's just raw Jesus. Let's go for it. And people are going, I want some raw Jesus. When you sign up though, it's amazing to me how God goes, I will bring a vindication. And I, Something Dave said last week I thought was so powerful. He goes, we, we ought to have a heart that will Call, cry out for mercy for those that would, would mock and disdain us that have this, this charge because God's zeal is ferocious over this reality John 2 just look at this beginning of Jesus' ministry. The beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus did this activity two different times, where he, he went in the temple and he, he cleansed the temple. He did it twice, one at the onset and one at the end. Verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, money changers doing business when he had made a whip of cords he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep the oxen poured out the changers money overturned the tables he said to those who sold doves take these things away do not make my father's house a house of merchandise then his disciples remembered that it was written Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. They're quoting Psalm 69. The zeal for your house has eaten me up statement comes from Psalm 69, verses 9 and 10. I'm going to comment on that in a moment. You know, the same thing is recorded in Matthew 21, verse 13, Mark 11, verse 17, Luke 19, verse 46. And in that time, that's at the end of Jesus' ministry, he does the same thing, overturns the tables of the money changers, drives them out, and there he makes this statement. He says, My father's house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. I thought, now think about the human dynamics of this. You've got the young prophet, he's 30. In town, he's got some healing meetings. He's got some crowds gathering. He's got a few little things going on on the front end of his ministry. He does, he does a water to wine thing. The crowds kind of swirl over that. This guy changed like vats of water into wine. I was there, I drank it. Unbelievable. People are kind of getting wind of this new prophet's ministry. This is pretty amazing stuff. Instead of going and working a few cool miracles and going ahead and, you know, doing a few cool signs. The next thing he does is he goes in the temple. And I mean, think about that. Starts throwing people's tables over. Like you're there, you're selling doves. The guy lets the doves out and throws the cage on the ground. Like the human dynamics of that are intense. Intense. And he goes, Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And they look at him and they go, Oh my goodness. Do you think? I I imagine it was right then the disciples go, What did we get ourselves into? What in the world did we get ourselves into? And the whole concept is this the zeal of the Lord burning in the man Christ Jesus, burning in him, is over this issue that the, the corporate gathering place for the people of God should have been a house of prayer, a place giving worship and intercession to the name of God, crying out the greatness of God in that city. Instead, it had become a place of merchandise. And the first activity of Jesus' life, he comes and says, I am eaten up with zeal. I will overturn the tables in this place. I've got zeal in my heart for this reality. Night and day prayer to my Father's name. It's the only time we see Jesus acting with that sort of, that level of aggression. There's other times he's bringing rebuke and correction. It's the only time we see him acting out and doing a physical, you know, something with aggression over this issue, the house of prayer. And I so sense that thing right now over the house of prayer. I sense it over our friends in KC. I sense it over us. There's a clear indication the jealousness of his heart over the house of prayer. It's a clear indication that the, the high level of zeal in God's heart has to do with the house of prayer being a place of, of, uh, that's clean before God. And I tell you, it's, it's in that moment, I think the disciples, they looked at this. I mean, are they turning over tables with him? I don't think so. They're sitting back going like, oh my goodness. The wedding was cool, but what is this? What are you doing? You know, like, what are you doing? They were like, and like, then Jesus kind of leaves, and they're kind of walking behind him, and people are like looking around, and oh my goodness, like, what did we just get into? What did we just sign up for? No way. No way. You know, then he preaches a good message and sort of heals a few people, and they go, okay, that was cool. Cool. You know, there's this tension in the disciples. I mean, just a few chapters later, he's going, Ah, yeah, I've got a good message tonight. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And the disciples are sort of looking around, and they're like, Ah. Everything was cool till then. You lost the crowd on that one, Jesus. You you could have done like the kingdom come, will be done thing. That was good. We all like the meek, shall inherit the earth. That was good stuff. Drink drink, drink my blood? No, that didn't work for us. And he turns and he looks at them and he goes, are you guys leaving too? Where shall we go? You alone have the words of life. You know what I have the sense of a little bit? I have that sense. What did we sign up for with this thing? I was just on a good prayer meeting you know a couple of good prayer meetings a little revival in Atlanta maybe you know you know 10-20,000 people get saved in Gwinnett County 50,000 whatever you know, 100,000 saved in Gwinnett County that'd be sweet a little revival center a couple of good meetings get some good offerings we'd all, you know, no problem with support then Instead, he goes I'm zealous that the house would be clean I'm zealous for your heart that you'd be unencumbered and unattached to other lovers there's a burning in me for reality in you that's what God's saying over us he goes I'm looking through the lattice of your life and I'm jealous for you and I feel that the, the the hot pleasure of God. It's the hot pleasure of God over this place. And I stand in trembling over this thing. I don't want to mess with it personally. I don't want to mess with this personally. And I don't want to mess with any of you. Because it's scary. I do not want to fall into the displeasure of God over this issue. Over the house of prayer. The way it's to be led. Over the uh, desire of God's heart for you the idea that you would say no to so many earthly things, I'm talking specifically to our staff, that you'd say no to so many earthly things, you'd walk away from careers, you'd walk away from you know, decent incomes and making a living in the West, you'd walk away from all that to live in virtual poverty so you can pray all day. I, there's a trembling in my heart because God's zeal is on you. He's a jealous husband for you. And then there's this sort of third reality. It's God's zeal for his people. It's God's zeal for the house of prayer. But Then there's this third reality. Let's turn over to Psalm 69. Since I'm not cool anymore, I might as well just continue to be uncool. Look at David in Psalm 69. Hold on a sec. Look at David in Psalm 69 and it's clear. There's mockery around him and there's disdain because he's given himself to the Lord with abandonment. Verse 1, save me, O God. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Save me, O God, I'm in deep waters. Floods are overflowing me. Verse 3, I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. This intercession gig, it is such a strange back and forth little thing. There's moments when the only thing that will sort of ease what's pounding in my heart is to sit in the corner and cry, but then the more I sit in the corner and cry when the thing is getting eased up a little bit, it's actually going deeper at the same time. It's just such a weird little, not weird like you're weird, Lord, but just, just, it's just odd. I give myself to weeping for the Lord, weeping, trying to partner with his heart, and it brings, at the same moment it's bringing satisfaction to the aching, it's also deepening the pain, such a strange journey. I'm like, I think I can do this. Lord, just grace me to do this for thirty-five more. Thirty-five more, and I get to see you right. Just make it think like, the little voice can last thirty-five. Be really, really good. That's what he's talking about in verse three. He goes, I'm weary with my crying, my throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for God. You ever wanted to cry and couldn't? You ever had the thing inside your. Tr- it's like the tears aren't coming, but your heart is crying. It's partnering with the heart of Jesus. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head, they hate me without a cause. They are mighty, would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Ouch. Oh God, you know my foolishness. You know what he's saying? He goes, God, you and I both know I'm not cool anymore. He goes, my sins are not hidden from you. Let not the others, he goes, he's, he's crying out for the other people of God. He goes, let not those who wait for you, O oh God, be ashamed because of me. Don't let me look like such a weird picture that the rest of the body of Christ thinks like God's weird. <laughs> you know, like let them not be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. How my heart resonates with those verses at times. There he goes. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers, and alien to my mother's children. Some people in my family don't even get me anymore. <laughs> What's he saying? Because he I'm off the deep end and I know it. Because zeal, why? Why have all these trials come my way? Because zeal for your house is eating me up. Verse 10, when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. I made sackcloth my garment, and I became a byword to them. Because I touched something in your heart. I touched the jealousy of your heart for your house. I touched the jealousy of your heart for your people. And next thing I know, when I touched it, it touched me. And all of a sudden, this thing that's burning in you for a night and day reality in Atlanta, all of a sudden, it's overcome me. And all of a sudden, my heart is eaten up with this, God. And where can I go but to you? What can I do but cry out to my voice his horse? What can I do but sit in the corner and grope for God in tears? There's no other options to this thing, Lord. Wounded me with love. And I sense the Lord's zeal over us. And I sense an invitation. I sense an invitation into his heart. He goes, I'm zealous for you. I'm zealous for a prayer movement. He goes, I'm zealous to set my son on the holy hill in Zion that I've chosen. I'm zealous for the salvation of Israel. I'm zealous for Atlanta becoming a city of refuge unto Zion becoming a praise in the earth. In Isaiah 62, he goes, I will not keep silent about this issue. Zion shall be a praise in all the earth. Therefore, verse six, I have set you house of prayer up. Atlanta, on the wall, night and day that you would not hold your peace until I come and make Zion a praise in the earth. It's intense. What did we get into? I wanted a cool little youth thingy. Please, it's so right. Surprise! 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 One more verse: Isaiah 59. <laughs> "Hey, thanks for letting me be myself with you.". <sighs> Some may say, "Well, what's your vision for Ihop Atlanta?" I don't have a vision." There's God's zeal. We're saying yes to that. What's your strategic plan for bringing your vision to pass? I don't have a vision, man. My vision is like, don't get trampled by God while he's taking over the nations. That's my vision. My vision is not to say, like... My vision is to, to not do anything wrong to somebody that God's got zeal about. <laughs> my vision is to fall in love with Jesus in this life. That he'd be the greatest reward of my heart. The man Christ Jesus would be so real to me. the zeal that the zeal that's burning in him could somehow burden me. That's my vision. That zeal for his house would eat me up all the days of my life. I don't care if I look like a wreck. It's all right. I'm on the right team, I think. guy, man, it was so funny. He goes, you are messed up. Isaiah 59. Verse 14. Isaiah 59 gives us a picture of the, what, what the zeal of the Lord looks like when he clothes himself for, for war. When he clothes himself for war. When he closed himself to vindicate you. When he closed himself to bring judgment against the things that you've joined yourself to. And he gives us a little insight that he is zealous for justice. Verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter so truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice just sends a trembling through my heart the injustice that we allow in our land in this hour that we allow and we promote in the church and that we allow in the political arenas in government that we wink at God saw it and it was displeasing to the Lord. Verse 16, And then he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Verse 17, what does the Lord look like when he's moving in judgment against the adversaries of your soul? What does the Lord look like when he's bringing to pass his plan in zeal? He puts on righteousness as a bright, glowing breastplate. And upon his head, a helmet of salvation. And he puts on garments of vengeance. What is that? What does God clothed in garments of vengeance look like? And he clads himself with zeal as a cloak. What does the fiery bridegroom, judge, king of the nations, Jesus look like? With a breastplate of glowing righteousness, a helmet of shiny salvation, and garments of vengeance, and a cloak of zeal. Who is the one who's the avenger of your soul? Who is the one that brings an indictment against you? I tell you, the one clothed with vengeance and zeal as a cloak is standing by you to bring vindication to you. Oh, that we'd be a people that would touch him in this place. Verse 18, according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Worship team, come according to their deeds. Accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands. He goes all the places where there's been injustice. That's the idea. He will fully repay. I sense God's hot, zealous jealousy over you. I sense him looking through the lattice upon you. I sense his fiery desire for you, his delight over you, little intercessor. And it's okay that you're a disciple standing by Jesus while he's turning over the tables and the money changers going, oh my goodness. What did I get myself? It's okay. Because he has zeal for the house of prayer. He has zeal for the nations. He has zeal for you. He has zeal for you. I just want to pray tonight. I want to pray that we would touch that. We would touch the zeal of the Lord. We would, we would receive a token, an impartation, a token of his zeal to our hearts. I want to know what's, we, we ask the Lord, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? If you ask the Lord to bear his emotions to you, I guarantee you, you will touch zeal in the heart of God. And it is fully contagious. When you touch the zeal of his heart, it will begin to eat you up. Let's just stand.